from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. It's the conversation we have here every week, exploring all those things related to work and the rest of your life, your family, your community, our society, and your private self. That's your mind, body, and spirit. I am your host, Stu Friedman. I founded the Work-Life Integration Project and the Leadership Program here at the Wharton School both uh, about 30 years ago. And I run a company called Total Leadership. And if you go to totalleadership.org, you can find out all about uh, what we do and uh, lots of free resources and videos and book chapters there, including the first uh, in my newest book, which is called Parents Who Lead, uh, which is about how to bring the science of leadership to the art of parenting, which we're finding is highly relevant, the set of practical tools and ideas for action in that book for for our pandemic times. We air 5 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays here on Sirius XM 132, and you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business, as well as me, I'm at Stu Friedman, S-T-E-W Friedman. Well, this is an unprecedented time in our history, and the uh, relationship between work and home life has been radically altered uh, and as a result of the, the coronavirus. Distancing, physical distancing, while remaining socially connected, that's a great challenge for all of us. How working remotely uh, has made so many people feel alone and uh, disconnected, underappreciated, my guest today has some wisdom for us on a critical element of our social lives, of our personal lives that can benefit teams, employees, our people who live with us in our home units, and others in our lives. And it's something that everybody can become more skilled at um, tapping into the power of, and that is gratitude. So I'm delighted to welcome Chester Elton to today's program. Chester is one of today's most influential voices in workplace trends and is co-author of a wonderful new book. It's called Leading with Gratitude, Eight Leadership Practices for Extraordinary Business Results. We're going to be digging into that in the conversation. But first, Chester, welcome to Work and Life. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here. Well, it's great to have you here, Chester. Let me just say a little bit more about you before we get into the conversation. Uh, Chester is the co-founder of The Culture Works, which is a global training company, and he's a board member of Camp Corral, a nonprofit for children of wounded and fallen military heroes. He serves as a leadership consultant to firms like American Express, AT&T, and a bunch of others. Uh, In 2018, Global Guru's research organization ranked him as 13th in the world's top leadership experts and number five in the world's top organizational culture experts. He's also a member, as I am, of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches Pay It Forward project. So it's uh, it's good to be talking to a, a brother from that organization, <laughs> uh, Chester. Uh, there's so much I want to talk with you about, but I want to start with how you got into uh, Camp Corral. Well, what was the motivation for that? You know, a uh, great story. First, because we are good friends from uh, Marshall Goldsmith, I, I need to update you to the 2020 Global Gurus. I'm yeah. actually number four in leadership and number two in culture. So we're, well, we're right. moving on up as the That's progress. As well done. Yeah. Camp Corral, I'm so glad you asked about that. Uh, Wonderful story. I was a keynote speaker at a big uh, conference for Golden Corral, you know, the best buffet in the USA. And often, you know, you come in the night before, they invited me to their awards banquet, and their charity is Camp Corral. Uh, They have 23 YMCA camps mostly around the country. Uh, Over 4,000 kids every summer get to go for free to spend a week at the camp. And it's, it's a wonderful way for, you know, there's a lot of charities for the warriors, there's a lot of charities for families, not many specifically for the kids. 
And the kids, of course, tend to grow up pretty fast. You know, their parents come back, they've got PSTD, they've got injuries or illnesses. Some have actually made the ultimate sacrifice. And when their parents leave the military, they go into school and they're not like the other kids. And the other kids don't get why. They don't get to go to their house or why, you know, there's, it's just different. So at these camps, they get to be with kids like themselves. And they build these incredible bonds and with social media and so on, they keep track of each other. And it's not unusual for kids to come back three, four, five years in a row and then become counselors. So I'm very proud they invited me to be up on their advisory board. And so every year I go to a, a camp or two and, and, and we're with the kids and we, we chat with them. And it's, 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 it's really a great honor. Thank you for asking about that. And thank you for pronouncing it Camp Corral and not Camp Coral, as oh. so many people do. <laughs> Uh, well, I, let me ask you just one more question about this, because it, it seems like it's such a wonderful initiative. Was there something in your own history that led you to want to connect with that particular group? Or was it just the coincidence of that evening and, and the connection that you made there with that uh, group that was hosting you? You know, uh, both. My father served in the military. I never did. Uh, I have friends and whose sons and, and daughters have served in the military. And I've always admired the discipline and the sacrifice. And, mm. uh, you know, I don't know if there's going to be any camps this year. So it's, mm. it's really interesting. So if, if you're interested, please go to uh, campcorral.org and see what you can do to support the, the kids of these wonderful mm-hmm. families. All right. Well, uh, thanks for, for doing that and for um, letting us know about that wonderful organization, Camp Corral. Well, since you published your new book, Leading with Gratitude, uh, and since we scheduled our, our radio show, this show, months ago, everything's changed in our world. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> there's been radical shifts due to the pandemic. Lots, lots of people out of work, or expecting to be out of work, and, and are making unemployment benefits claims, many businesses, large and small, have had to shutter, some temporarily, some permanently. Uh, there's many industries are going to be changed forever, including higher education, my business. Um, there's business leaders responding in lots of different ways, some protecting their employees, others focusing more directly on the bottom line at the expense of their workers. And just this last week, there were uh, May Day labor protests specifically focused on how some employers were not sufficiently protecting those who they employ. So there's, there's lots of different directions we could take this conversation, Chester, but I'm curious just off the bat to know what what's the most powerful uh, trend or insight that you've observed about what's happening in this brave new world order in terms of what it means for each of us to, to lead with gratitude? Well, what's really been, I think, encouraging are a lot of the stories that, that we're following and a lot of the clients that we work with, their response. And the first response in a, in a great culture. You know, Adrian Gostick, my co-author and I, for, for 20 years, we've been studying culture and leadership and teams and, and certainly that thread of, of gratitude and why that is such a, a must-have leadership attribute. For example, a real-time study we're doing right now with Kent Taylor, who's the founder and CEO uh, of Texas Roadhouse Restaurants. Now, as you know, I mean, I think it's like 3 million restaurant workers have been laid off since the uh, since the virus and they were asked to shutter their doors well he's got 600 restaurants almost 70,000 employees and the first thing he did was say to all his employees nobody's going to lose their job because of the virus mm-hmm. right out of the box gave up his salary pulled his people together immediately and said look takeaway is five percent of our business now it's a hundred percent how do mm-hmm. we pivot and, you know, he was great about saying, look, I get that some of you are not going to feel comfortable coming to work. You may have pre-existing conditions. You may have elderly parents at home. Don't worry about it. We're going to keep you employed. First and foremost, he put his employees first, their safety, their well-being, their families. Mm-hmm. Secondly, how can we best serve our customers? We've, we've got to provide, you know. Uh, Let me jump in here, though, and ask about his first priority. I want to dig a little further into this because I think there's there's insight for all of us in this. What? What do you think it was that gave him the um, the confidence and the uh, 
the will to be able to make his his employees his first priority and to be able to commit to uh, to retaining them all. Well, first and foremost, it's always been a part of Kent's makeup. Hmm. So he's done every job in the restaurant. He's been in all kinds of different restaurant themes. And, and he always knew that in restaurants, it's all about your people. And if you don't take care of your people, they won't take care of your customers. They won't take care of your community. So this wasn't a new thing for Kent. So he grew up in those roles. He understood he could empathize because he'd been in those roles. He'd walked in their shoes, Mm -hmm. literally. You know, Mm -hmm. he'd wash dishes. He'd bust tables. He was behind the bar. He'd cut the meat. Mm -hmm. So that was something that he had always done. It's interesting, as we're now chronicling his journey, and we talk to his employees, uh, we say, you know, this is, this is remarkable. This is unbelievable. And they go, well, no, it's not. Mm. It's, it's who Kent is and who he's always been. And I think there's a great lesson for leaders in that story, in mm. that you can't just in a crisis all of a sudden say, trust me, I care about you. If before that, you hadn't built up that care and trust. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pausing here because I'm, I'm thinking about the many people out there who are thinking, oh, dang, I, I better get these people to trust me now and, and have them believe that I care about them when perhaps I haven't really done that in the past because I've just been you know, too distracted, too, too, too much, you know, anxious and concerned about my own welfare and my own <laughs> personal advancement and all those things that make us greedy and, and narrow-minded in our focus. Uh, could we go just a little further in terms of how you would advise the many people out there who I'm sure are finding themselves in that position in need of support, in need of, you know, commitment to their goals and, you know, for survival when in fact they, you know, historically haven't really invested in that? Well, two things have to go up exponentially. And we, we talk about this all the time, whether it's a merger acquisition or, or a crisis. Communication has to skyrocket and gratitude has to skyrocket. And what I mean by that is, is that communication, whenever there's a a pause, whenever there's a gap in communication, that gap is filled with rumor, innuendo, and fear, (laughs) right? We we are just, you you would know this better than anyone. We are wired. We don't wake up in the morning and say, what's going to go right today? We wake up in the morning and say, what could go wrong so we can protect ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. In a crisis, that's exactly what happens. So, you know, we, we coach a lot of executives and say, look, if you think you're over communicating, it's probably about right. Mm-hmm. Even if there's not much to communicate, communicate, there's not much to communicate. You got to fill the void. Mm-hmm. Secondly, is you really have fill the voids to keep people from uh, going down the rabbit hole of anxiety and, and constricted uh, action themselves? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Fill me in. You know, how are we doing? How are we doing? How are we doing? Mm-hmm. I love leaders that, that they'll take the time to do the one-on-ones and they ask two very important questions. How are you doing today? And how can I help? Mm-hmm. Right? How are you doing? Like, and, and I'm not like, that complicated. It's not. And yet you have to be very intentional and you have to be very disciplined. Mm-hmm. Right? And you have to listen. And mm-hmm. a lot of leaders that are not good listeners. <laughs> They're good talkers, right? They're not good listeners. Uh, harder to do in these times of, of strain and stress and incredible pressure and disruption. Let me just remind listeners, uh, <clears throat> this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 132. I am your host, Stu Friedman. It's so good to have you with us today. My guest is Chester Elton, who's the author of Leading with Gratitude. Eight Leadership Practices for Extraordinary Business Results, and we're talking about how relevant these ideas are for our pandemic times. Um, So, Chester, you were saying about uh, how the practice of just checking in with people and asking how you can be helpful to them um, is 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 a mark of uh, of 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 an important quality of leaders generally speaking, and today, why is that especially relevant? Well, uh, in a lot of areas, people need to know they're valued, and they know they're valued if you give them their time. They Mm -hmm. need to have their voices heard. 
right? Uh, things are different for me. I've got a special needs child or I've got an elderly parent that lives with me and, and I'm working at a hospital and I'm terrified that if I am not protected, if I'm not in a secure environment, that I'm going to bring the virus home to my family. And, and what does that mean? Mm. And so on. And so that personal time, that one-on-one, that communication, that caring, when it goes up, it reassures me. You know, I, I think not only are we in an unprecedented time of this pandemic, we're in an unprecedented time of isolation and stress and fear. You know, it's interesting to me that they're chronicling the, the you know, infections and deaths of the coronavirus. There's a ripple effect of this as well. Opioid abuse is up. Mm-hmm. You know, suicides are up. Domestic abuse is Domestic up. Domestic violence, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and why? Because there's stress, because I'm not sure about my job, my safety, and so on. Leaders need to ha- be that calming influence to, you know, communicate, to paint the roadmap, to give people hope. Mm-hmm. And part of that hope is leading with gratitude, mm-hmm. is looking for small wins to celebrate, mm-hmm. looking for small ways to communicate, uh, a, a note in the mail. Uh, one leader, I love that, uh, of a small team, she just decided that just for fun, uh, Wednesday night, she sent pizzas to all her staff. <laughs> the guy shows up, social distancing, here's your, your pepperoni or your vegan pizza or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That simple little investment of, I don't know, $17, $20 to let them know that their leader was thinking about him, wanted them to take a break. Pizza's on me. Mm-hmm. That kind of leading with gratitude, I think, goes so far in times of stress. Well, what do you think? Well, I, I'm I'm keen to go further on this issue of hope, which I, I agree is central now to what all of us can be trying to uh, give, um, you know, a meaningful and realistic voice to some sense of hope not just with our employees, but also in our families and friends and those who look up to us or with, you know, with whom we are interdependent, you know, directly. <clears throat> and, and I'm, I'm curious to know more about how the expression of gratitude gives people a greater sense of hope, because that's, that's of course what leaders deal in. It's hope, right? It's, you know, tomorrow's going to be better. Here's where we are today. A realistic sense of what, you know, what, what the world is now and what the challenges are that we face. We, you know, we've got to convey that in as clear and, and uh, <clears throat> compelling a way as possible while giving people a sense of hope. So, so what have you learned about how gratitude engenders that sense of, all right, there is the possibility of a better tomorrow? Well, that, that, that is, is very clearly the message when you say, hey, I'm, I'm grateful that you've been able to shelter in place, that we've set up a way for you to work from home. Do you have everything you need? Mm-hmm. Because here's how we're going to do it. And now things are, things are going to change. I mean, the thing that the virus has thrown so many leaders, such a big curve, mm-hmm. is the ever-changing you know, landscape. It's sort of like, we're going to open, we're not going to open. Certain things are going to mm-hmm. open. You know, um, we're going to be able to social distance. You're, you're not going to have to come into the office. And, and so more and more that doubling and tripling and quadrupling of communication is part of that roadmap to hope. And here's how we're going to get through it. Now, the really extraordinary leaders, and I, and I put, you know, Kent Taylor in that, in that category is, he says, and, and we're going to need your help to get there. So what are your ideas? What are you, you seeing? I want to learn from you. Tell me what's going on at the local level. Tell me what's going on with you and your family. And taking that all in, that is very hopeful when I know that I can be a part of the solution. I'm not just sitting here waiting for a vaccine so that we can all get injected and we, everything can go back to normal, right? I'm saying, okay, what can I do today to help? And the leader is saying, what, what are you learning? Well, how can you help us all down this road to, to getting back to, to where we need to be? Now, and, and, and uh, you know, I'm going to talk a lot about Texas Roadhouse because I, I think it's remarkable that here's a restaurant of, you know, almost 70,000 employees that hasn't laid off anybody, didn't take any government money, mm. and in four weeks turned a profit. I mean, they figured it out. Everybody dug in. Everybody mattered. Everybody's opinion was heard. And, and, and Maine- As they pivoted to, the, to, to a takeout or takeaway model. 
Exactly. They, they, some of the restaurants are 65 to 80% of pre-COVID revenue, which is ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it is amazing. All the while caring deeply for their people, caring deeply for their customers, you know, which was the second step, right? Said, look, customers need a break. I mean, they had, you know, I love Candy says, when things get, you know, really tough, I call my crazies because they're the guys that are already thinking outside the box, right? He had one guy that said, look, I'm showing movies on the back of my restaurant just so that people in town can take a break. Hmm. And, and every other parking spot, we're social distancing our cars, right? And, and just, just give them a break. We're going to put these family packs together so you can feed a family of four for 20 bucks. And it's more food than you can imagine. And Kent even said, look, I was at the grocery store and I said, what's missing? And the guy says, there's not that much meat. And he says, we got tons of meat. So let's go from curb to grill. So he says, let's start serving raw meat. Let's go to the, the farmer's markets. Huge revenue stream. Kept his, his meat cutters employed. A tremendous service to the community and keeping his employees engaged and his customers mm-hmm. engaged. So every step of the way. And did, did they make mistakes? I'm sure they did. The fact is, is they were all in it and they turned it around. And I think it's a remarkable story. So <clears throat> the that is an inspiring story, and and it speaks to how uh, you you really need to um, invest in the ideas, you know, the, both the hearts and minds of the people who are who are delivering and who can creatively, you know, generate new ways of uh, of um, creating value, you know, for for your customers, whoever they are. Um, it's, it, you know, it's, it's uh, fascinating to think about like how you do that when the financial pressures, like in the retail industry, for example, you know, uh, where you're seeing lots of um, you know, just downward pressure as you know, nobody's going to stores. So J crew just closed. Right. Uh, um Food, you know, you can you can do takeout, but but J Crew they they can't compete with Amazon, and so they're gone. Um, what insights or ideas emerge for you, Chester, as you're looking at the landscape today for those industries that are, um, you know, where, where it's just more difficult to to make the kind of pivot that uh, the Texas Roadhouse was able to. Well, I, I think there's there's a lot of things that come into play and a lot of lessons that are going to be learned from this virus. And one is is to not get over leveraged. Mm-hmm. You know, the great thing about Texas Roadhouse is is Kent always was very careful with his balance sheet, mm-hmm. and he always wanted to be in a position where if anything went really horribly wrong, that they would be okay. You know, so many businesses, so many retailers. You know, money was cheap; it was easy to borrow they got over leveraged and you, you put your business in peril. You say, well, things are good now. Well, you know, uh, the virus showed us that, look, I think a lot of business practices are gonna change where people are gonna say, we need healthy reserves to be able to weather, you know, whether it's, you know, 9-11 or Hurricane Sandy or earthquakes or tsunamis and, and certainly a virus. Uh, look, the fact that this pandemic has hit I think is a lesson that it's probably going to happen again. You know, once we figured this out, the, the world has become such a small place and people travel so easily that those lessons are, are going to be hard, hard won. Now, having said that, you know, I, I really do believe that when great leaders step up and they engage their people, they can find ways through, maybe not with the kind of incredible success that Texas Roadhouse has had. I'll give you another example of American Express, where they stepped back immediately and said, no one will lose their job to the COVID virus. Now, their business is down 45%. Mm. And that's a lot. <laughs> you know, they said, look, when we, when we plan for contingency, we can say, look, well, you know, if business is off 10 or 15%, we're going to be fine. Nobody put up on the board, what if it goes down 45%? Or in, in, you know, like J. Crew, I don't think anybody said, what happens if it goes to zero, right? And so, you know, you're going to learn lessons going forward. Now, I do love the leaders that step up and say, look, here's how much reserve we have. We're good for a year. We're good for six months. So this is our runway. 
how do we figure it out? How do we pivot? Mm. How do we take J Crew and how do we go completely online? And and maybe we can't compete with Amazon. What about a partnership with Amazon? Mm-hmm. You know what? What about you know? There 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 have to be ways to 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 salvage whatever it is of your business, and you've got to figure that out. And you can't figure it out alone. One of the great leaders that we studied, mm-hmm. he said, "Look, by myself, I think I'm pretty smart. When I bring everybody together, we can be Einstein if mm-hmm. we listen to each other and we get that collective intelligence." All right. When we when we come back from the short break, I want to go further on the subject of how you overcome as a leader, as a person, uh, as a parent, as a caregiver, as anyone, the the natural tendency to not listen, uh, and and what what wisdom you've 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 gleaned from your experience about how to develop that capacity so that you can create a stronger collective. Uh, so more on that when we when we come back. Uh, don't go away, folks. I'll be continuing my conversation with Chester Elton about his book, Leading with Gratitude, in just a minute. Stay with us. I am Stu Friedman, and this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome back to Work and Life. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I'm very glad you are with us today. I'm speaking with Chester Elton, who has spent two decades helping clients engage their employees to execute on strategy, vision, and values. And his focus in his latest book, Leading with Gratitude, Eight Leadership Practices for Extraordinary Business Results, is, of course, on gratitude. And we've been talking about how um, an orientation toward gratitude and commitment to others helps, especially now in times of crisis, when we are so much more in need of the support of others. Um, And we were talking about how valuable it is to to listen in order to be able to uh, get the, the great ideas and give people the sense that their voice does indeed matter. What have you found, Chester, about what it takes for people to develop and continue to hone their capacity to listen well so that they can indeed express uh, their, their interest in valuing other people's ideas? Well, I think it's really simple. Um, talk less. <laughs> it's really, it really is some ask a good questions. You know, we talked about how are you doing today? How can I help? Mm-hmm. How's your family? We've got this issue. What are your thoughts? And literally stop talking. Now, the follow up is also key. You know, no, don't just listen, take notes and follow up on that. Mm-hmm. You know, solicit input and then act on that input. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I mean, whether it's your, your kids or, you know, people you work with or, or your pets, listening is great if you don't do anything with it. I mean, we've all seen the engagement surveys that go out and they ask for your opinion and you give it and then nothing happens. Well, the next time the survey comes around, you don't fill it out. Uh, you know, you break trust, you break that relationship. Better so, not to have asked in the first place. Exactly, exactly. And so this idea of listening is key. Ask the right questions, listen, then have the discipline to follow up. And make but what sure if they come up with stupid ideas that I don't have time and the patients to have to respond to and explain why they're stupid? Yeah, that's on you. <laughs> yeah, my dad had a great friend. He says, there are no stupid ideas, just stupid people ask, <laughs> giving you those ideas, right? That, what do that's, you do? Well, that's, that's a leadership issue. It really is. You know, one of the great leaders that we featured in the book is a guy named Gary Ridge. WD-40. Now, you probably didn't think that was a company. You maybe just thought it was a product. They were a global company, and he is their CEO, has been for about 12 years. He says, look, we don't make mistakes at WD-40. We have learning moments. So he's created a culture where it's okay to experiment. It's okay to fail. It's okay to have crazy ideas. Kent Taylor says, look, when I go to my crazies for ideas, They know it's safe because I'm the chief crazy. Nobody's crazier than me. So if you've got the culture in place already, I think it allows you to not look at people that are stupid. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, here's your skill testing question. Um, 
what does WD-40 stand for? Do you know? Uh, making life better through lubrication. Uh, I don't know what the, I don't know what the WD stands for, uh, so, but now you've got me very curious. So what the heck is it, Chester? Well, it's so funny that you say that. Their, their chief research guy here in New Jersey, Ernie, he says, uh, what, "What what drives you at WD forty?" He goes, "World peace through lubrication." <laughs> there you go. All right, so I tuned into that. There you go. So WD forty stands for water displacement fortieth formula. Fortieth. So, they had 39 40. trials that failed. Exactly. And that's so that's, cool. why he, that's why he says, look, I, I'm so glad they didn't stop at 39. Uh-huh. So we don't make mistakes. We have learning moments. Yeah. Well, you know, and you'll know this from um, Amy Edmondson. You know, she does a lot of work on psychological safety. Well, see, nobody calls anybody stupid. Nobody says these are stupid ideas because that creates insecurity. That's not a safe place to innovate, to ideate. So if you've already got that WD culture, if you've already got the CEO as the chief crazy at Texas Roadhouse, Mm -hmm. then it's free to say, look, all bets are off. Look, we've never had a pandemic like this before, ever. Everything has to be on the table, no matter how crazy it is. Mm -hmm. The minute the leader says, well, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard, Mm -hmm. you immediately shut down the conversation. Don't worry about listening. Nobody's going to be talking you're going to be fine. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that culture of let's innovate, let's ideate, let's get crazy. Kent says, look, my crazies are my big dogs. And then I've got my puppies on the porch, the more conservative instance. And I got to pair my, my puppies with my big dogs and get things rolling. That's a great culture. You have in, um, <clears throat> in leading with gratitude, a set of specific you know, guidance or practices for how, all of us as leaders in our lives can can be more effective in um, well just gaining clarity on, on how people uh, contribute and and how to make it easier for others to know that you care about them. Can you just briefly describe those so that our listeners can can walk away from this conversation with some specific um, action items for how they can practice gratitude in ways that are going to help them uh, to, to be more effective in, in, uh, in moving through this crisis? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because our work, you know, is based in over a million engagement surveys, countless interviews, and so on. And the case studies are rock solid. The thing is, if you don't have tools to go forward, what's the point? So mm-hmm. these are the tools, the eight best practices. And we actually divided them up into two camps, seeing and then expressing. So kind of doing your homework before you jump in, right? And the idea about soliciting and acting on input, we've talked about, you know, ask your people what's going on, you know, mm-hmm. how, can, how can you help? Assume positive intent is one of my favorites and learned this from a, a great leader years ago, Scott O'Neill, who's, who now is the CEO of HB Sports that owns the Sixers and, and the New Jersey Devils. I know you're a big uh, Devils fan. And uh... Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Wrong. Stop that. Very clever, Chester. All right, please continue. We'll edit that part out. (laughs) So the assumed positive intent is this idea that, look, I believe that people come to work wanting to do a good job. In doing that job, they're going to make mistakes. And that's okay. We have those learning moments, right? And we can move on. So assume positive intent, particularly now people are homeschooling. Look, if they don't get back to you right away, it's not because they don't want to. There's, there's just a lot going on. Walking in their shoes. You mean the teachers? Is that what you mean? Teachers. Well, parents are teachers now. You know, like my son yes. and, and his wife. She's a nurse. He works at, uh, at American Express, actually. And they've got two little kids at home now. Well, they're not going off to school anymore. You know, so their lives have become exponentially more complicated. So assume positive intent. They want to get their work done they may not be able to do it as timely as they were able before. Does that make and sense? There, and there you're referring to the kids or to the teachers or both? Both. Absolutely both. You know, I think at least my hope is uh, post COVID is that we're more patient with each other, mm-hmm. that we're more kind and we're more patient mm-hmm. You realize there's a lot going on in everybody's yes. life. Right? Well, and, and that is certainly something that's happening, right? As we're seeing into others' lives, as we zoom across the world, uh, into each other's, you know, home offices and kitchens and living rooms <laughs> and bedrooms. 
Um, and we their still, cats oh. are coming in, and their kids are coming in. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a there's a person there, um, but also having a it, it, it's easier than to to develop that sense of empathy. And, and just if I can take a, a few seconds for a public service announcement along the lines that you were just going uh, with respect to teachers, um, my youngest, uh, who's 26, is a public school teacher in Boston for in a title one school. She teaches uh, special ed third graders. And uh, I can't tell you how many of the people that I've been speaking with in the webinars and coaching that I've been doing, how many of them are speaking to how valuable teachers are. Oh, yes. Now, now, now that parents are trying to, you know, do like <laughs> some teeny slice of what teachers do every day for hours and hours on end, uh, they realize, wow, teachers are worth so much more than I thought they were worth. <laughs> this so, is a lot harder than I thought it was. Yeah. Yes. So, in fact, we are recording this on Teacher Appreciation Day, so it's appropriate for me to take a minute here to say, let's share some love for teachers out there, and let's see if we can um, demonstrate our appreciation for their value by paying them more when we um, come through all this. 100%. Uh, because teachers are an incredibly valuable resource, and uh, they are underappreciated, generally speaking. All right, back to our regular program. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I, yeah, I'm a big fan of teachers as well. Well said. Um, the, other, the other part about seeing is looking for small wins, you mm -hmm. know, building that momentum. Let's celebrate little successes along the way. Let's look for what's going right. Clearly, mm -hmm. we need to correct what's going wrong. Let's look for what's going right. I'll tell you a great trigger for that. A wonderful leader that we studied for our, our culture book called All mm -hmm. In. Uh, Carlos Aguilera, it works for Avis Budget Rental Car. He would put 10 pennies in his left pocket and set a goal to have 10 positive interactions with his people every day. Hmm. And he'd keep track by moving a penny from his left pocket to his right pocket. Wow. Simple That's little trick. There, but yeah. what a great trick. Yeah. Like and, counting rosaries or something. <laughs> right. And a simple little reminder. We've got another uh, yes. CEO that writes everybody uh, a little card on their birthday. And he carries around station and all these little birthday cards. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a silly thing. Everybody that gets them keeps them. You know, yeah. it was, I mean, remember my birthday? You gotta be kidding me. He took the time to write me a little note. Mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the scene, you know, acting on and, you know, soliciting, uh, you know, input and then assuming positive intent, walk in their shoes, look for small wins. Now, once you've done that, you can express, right? And we always say, look, do it now, do it often. Don't be afraid. You know, do it now, mm. do it often. Don't worry about making mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. That's okay. Let me, let me pause here and remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. This is Stu Friedman, your host speaking. So glad you're with us today. Um, speaking with Chester Elton, who's the author of Leading with Gratitude. And we're talking about what you can do to do more leading with gratitude in ways that are going to enrich your life. It doesn't cost you. <laughs> to be to be um, expressing, to seeing opportunities for, and then expressing gratitude, it actually uh, makes your life easier uh, because you engender commitment and trust, and I dare say, love. Let's continue, Chester. What else? Once once you have more opportunities for seeing, what else uh, do you advise with respect to what people can do to express? Well, tailor it to the individual. You know, expressions of gratitude that are meaningful are much more impactful. You know, it's, it's like the classic case of the guy saying, uh, listen, uh, congratulations on the promotion. And he, he sends a, a bottle of champagne to at the guy's house and, and he's in AA. <laughs> you know, he just didn't, didn't do his homework or the honey baked ham to the, you know, the Jewish family. Um, the, the intent is there. If they were kosher and not eating ham. Yeah, not a good idea. Exactly. So it's, it's the idea that the, the intent is there. It's all in the execution. Mm. You know, do they want time with their family? Do they want the spotlight? Uh, do they want a, a fine meal at their favorite restaurant? Knowing those simple things and being able to tailor it to the individual goes such a long way. Mm -hmm. I think, too, it's really important in your expression, particularly in the business place, that you tie it to your core values. You know, rewarded behavior gets repeated, right? That's a very simple premise. And so if you're about customer service, make sure that you tie it to that extraordinary customer service that you just saw or on-time delivery or, or a safe workplace, whatever it might be. Mm 
And then lastly, I, I love when you really get good at it, that it's not just top down, it's peer to peer. Create opportunities for your employees. Maybe you've got a stack of thank you cards in the break room. Maybe you've got, you know, your online Slack channel or whatever. You've got badges that people can put, you know, around to recognize. And, and it's, 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 you know, it, it's very specific around service or, or integrity or innovation. And because when it gets peer to peer, that's great. Now, it's the leader that sets the tone. The way you act gives people permission to do it the same way. So they're going to watch you. If you do it, they'll do it. If you don't do it, they will not do it. There are, there are opportunities to, to, to structure those kinds of exchanges. One of the things that I do in my um, executive MBA classes uh, at Wharton, both in California and uh, in Philadelphia, we have a campus um, both places. Now those courses are going virtually as I'm teaching uh, this summer term, total leadership in both uh, coasts. We've just launched uh, both of those. And one of the things that we just start with in the very first hour, uh, after each participant has, they've done a lot of writing about their values and their vision. And one of the, one of the things that they write about is um, an episode from their history that has shaped their values and beliefs. And we ask people, uh, they're in peer-to-peer coaching relationships all the way through the whole semester, but then we we mix them up and have them meet with other people and uh, coach each other, listen to each other. And after each one of those exchanges, uh, where we just began in this first session, tell a story about what happened to you sometime in your history that shaped who you are uh, to a couple of other people who you're you know don't know very well. Uh, and, and after you've heard that story, ask a question or two about what, you know, moved you about that story, what you learned from it. And then I will, once that work is all done, I'll then take another chunk of short, doesn't have to be a long time, but just a couple minutes. All right. Now, uh, express some note of appreciation for what you just heard in terms of how, what you learned or what you discovered. And so right from the start, what everybody understands is that what we do here is express appreciation for each other. And that just changes the, uh, the culture of the class uh, quite. I love that. I love that. Profoundly. Yeah. yeah and, and sorry for taking time to describe that, but I just, it's, it's, it's an example of a practice that I've, you know, cultivated for many, many years. And I find that it's really useful and it's the kind of thing you could do anywhere. Really, sure. Right? Well, you know what we love is at the very end of the book is we've got what we call the baker's dozen. Yes. So all these great leaders that we, we studied, they didn't leave their best selves at work. They took it home. Mm-hmm. And we asked them what were some of their practices and how they brought gratitude into their families. Well, let's have a couple of those examples, please. Perfect. One, one of my uh, dear friends, Dave Kirpin, uh, he's got an online advertising agency in New York. He said, you know, pre-COVID, we'd try to eat dinner as a family as often as we could, you know, mm-hmm. schedules permitting. And he said, you know, uh, we would always ask the kids, how was school? They'd say, fine. What did you learn? Nothing. (laughs) It never went anywhere. So he said, we changed it to three questions. You had to answer three questions. What was the best part of your day? So you got to be happy, right? Secondly, who are you grateful for that's not at the table? And thirdly, who are you grateful for who is at the table who hasn't been thanked yet? And he said, you know, at first they were like, oh, dad, oh, dad. Well, it caught on. He says it changed the culture. It changed the nature of our meals. He said, I loved it when our kids would bring a friend to dinner and they'd say, now, look, you're going to have to answer three questions. Don't embarrass me. Okay. Have good answers. <laughs> and these are the questions, you know, do a little prep. Mm-hmm. Uh, they teach their kids to serve. They, they, they serve as a family. You know, they'd go out. Mm-hmm. And, and I think right now is a perfect example to do that. Yes. Teach, yes. Let's let them how to give. Stay on that because that's one of the things that's come up in in a number of the sessions that I've been doing. Uh, the how crucial it is to elevate values to the surface and to use this moment as as one where you can teach values by demonstrating them yourself. Like this is what we stand for: caring for other people, protecting our environment you know, thinking about what our neighbors are doing and, and what we can do to be helpful to them. Uh, one of the things we did when the kids were young was um, every Friday night we'd have, uh, you know, we'd, we'd celebrate the arrival of the Sabbath. And one of the things that we did in that meal was to um, 
ask each child to say what they had done to make the world better that week. And we included ourselves in this. And it could be the teeniest of tiniest things that you could do, these small wins. <laughs> right. Uh, but that developed, you know, uh, an understanding in our children that uh, what we valued was helping other people. And that's something that we were expecting them to be able to be articulate about. Um, anybody can do anything like that. And especially now, right? Yes. You know, my wife and I, we've had this practice for a long time. And it's just a lovely way to end your day. We say, what are your three? What are three things today you were grateful for? Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes it's just that it was a sunny day. You know, when you're, when you're uh -huh. hunkering down, just sometimes being able to go into your backyard and have the sun on your face, you can be yep. grateful for that. That you yep. had a cherry blossom tree. That was one of mine yesterday, for sure. Please continue. <laughs> Tell me about the cherry blossom. Yeah, cherry blossoms, you know, I mean, our, our neighbors uh, next door, they've got two cute little kids. And so we, 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 we go to Texas Roadhouse once a week to support our friends, right? And they make the most amazing rolls. And they always give you more than you, you can eat. And so we shared them with them. And oh, they just love those rolls. Well, two days later, there's a little bag in our back door and there were cookies. They made, made chocolate chip cookies for me and my wife. Those simple little random acts of kindness are just so wonderful. And, and again, you know, I, I think if the, if the virus has a positive impact, and I think it will in many, many ways, I hope it teaches us to be more grateful, to be more kind, and as we talked about earlier, just to be more patient with each other. Let's assume positive intent about each other at work and at home. Let's take a deep breath. Let's take care of each other. And I think the world can become a much better place. I hope so. I, you know, I, I, that's my orientation as well, Chester. That's why I think we're in, you know, the same line of work, essentially. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of pain out there and, and fear, of course, and, and some, you know, uh, misguided leaders who are, um, you know, taking advantage of that to, to create greater division uh, and hatred of the other. Um, so any thoughts about what any one of us can be doing to help to sow the seeds of uh, comity and of the sense of, uh, you know, common and collective and really actually interdependent life that we have as the human family. Nice. Um, other, other thoughts here as we're nearing the end of our conversation about how we can try to realize that promise of well, I, I, I think reflection you know as we've studied leadership great leaders take time to reflect you know what did i do today to your point what did i do today to make the world a little better place mm -hmm. we love to ask the executives we coach to just say hey what did i set out to do what happened what did i learn and what am i going to take forward great leaders are forged in hard times you know we think of the great leaders that we venerate you know, Mother Teresa, you know, leper colonies, I mean, hard times, you know, Gandhi, Churchill, whatever, you, you know, whatever, whatever leader that you idolize. Think about what do you want your legacy to be? Mm -hmm. Do you want it to be a legacy that brought people together, that found solutions, that, you know, that, that cared for the vulnerable, that, that, that led with kindness? Or do you want to be a leader that, you know, uh, dumped all your employees and, and sowed, you know, division and pitted people against each other for their own personal gain. You know, history has a way of recording this. Mm -hmm. And I think quite accurately. And it'll be interesting, you know, 20 years from now, as we look back and our children's children ask us about what, what did you do during the pandemic? How will we answer those questions? You know, were we, did we lead with gratitude? Were we more kind? Were we more patient? Were we a part of the solution? Or were we those that uh, profited from people's pain? And I think those are good questions to ask of business leaders, of teachers, of parents, of anyone who cares about how, will, how they will be remembered. And mm -hmm. I think those reflections are very important right now. Yes, I, I agree strongly. And... Uh, and am at the same time, you know, concerned about our inability to break through those who are reluctant to or afraid to engage in that work of reflection. So 30 seconds, any advice for how we help those who, who are resistant to that kind of interest? Yeah, you know what? I think, I think you just overwhelm them with kindness. 
You know, I, I honestly believe gratitude attracts gratitude. I, I love Mr. Rogers. You know, I've watched all the documentaries and the movies. And mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the moments that always stuck with me is when he said to his mother, he says, you know, mom, there's so much bad news out there. And she said, there is. And yet in all the bad news, you'll always find helpers. Look for the helpers. Mm -hmm. Be one of the helpers. Mm -hmm. And I think when we see people that are angry and they're trying to sow seeds, I think, you know what, we, we just come up and we calm them down and we tell them that they're important to us and mm -hmm. that we can sort this out and you overwhelm them with kindness. And, mm -hmm. and I, I, I really do believe gratitude attracts gratitude. I think gratitude is, is a healer of those kinds of angers. And so I think, you know, let's be the helpers in the bad news. Let's be the good news. You know, Gary Ridge, uh, you know, as, as we tell his story in WD-40 from the last recession, he said, let's not waste a good crisis. <laughs> let's take time to, to grow and develop, invest in ourselves, to be kind and to be more grateful. And that's my story. And I'm that's, that, is a, that is a perfect note for us to close on. Chester Elton, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Where can listeners find out more about uh, Leading with Gratitude and your other important work? leadingwithgratitudebook.com is a great resource where you can download the first chapter and the, and the forward for free. Uh, lots of fun videos. We put all our podcasts on there. We'll put this show on there as well. Uh, thecultureworks.com is our training company. Again, some great resources there. Uh, much of it free. And follow me on LinkedIn. We've got a great LinkedIn live show. We bring in great guests. We post great articles. We're trying to do our best to, uh, to be a helper. So LinkedIn, leadingwithgratitudebook.com and thecultureworks.com. Chester Elton, thank you so much. Appreciate it, Stu. It's been a delight. You can call me anytime. Well, all right. And thank you for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week, 5 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. If you have a question about something you've heard on the show, you can email me, friedman.wharton.upenn.edu or our station, businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Stu Friedman. Edited versions of our shows are available as free podcasts at workandlifepodcast.com. Let me thank our producer, Patty Hall, uh, who is engineering, who is running this show from her kitchen in New Jersey, and our sound engineer, Dion Simpkins. Thank you so much. I am Stu Friedman, and you've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, 132.